Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with entrepreneur and company culture connoisseur, Josh Cunningham. He is the CEO and founder of Rockerbox, an inside sales assistant company based in College Station, Texas. After starting the company in 2013, his real estate company, Josh's real estate company, has worked over 3 million internet leads for teams all across the country, including many heavy hitters. Having hired and trained over 400 ISAs, Josh is a sought-after speaker for his invaluable knowledge on developing company culture that attracts the best talent and drives success. Enjoy this story and interview. Okay, let's rock and roll. Right on, Josh. College Station, Texas, great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out today for the show. And I want to I start everything off with living through the last three and a half years going through a pandemic. How did you survive it and how did it change you? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was actually at the time living in San Diego, California, uh, in downtown. And uh, I lived in a high-rise apartment building. And, um, you know, th- there was definitely a lot more restrictions on the West Coast. Um, but one of the things I was fortunate of was actually still having a feeling and a sense of community because I lived in this really tall building and I could look out my window and see and hear all this life going on, you know, whereas a lot of people were on lockdown living in the burbs somewhere, you know, and, 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 and literally staring at the four walls that they looked at. And so, um, also we were fortunate to have fantastic weather in San Diego. Yeah. So the outdoor dining was not a big deal, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you kind of want to be outdoors anyway, 75 degrees and sunny. Um, but there was a, a really a really cool sense of community and connection with others living downtown because everybody was kind of going through the same thing at the same time. And uh, I can remember when it, when it had first started, there was a, uh, you know, one night where my wife and I are sitting in our apartment and we start hearing some hooping and hollering and we look out the window and see what's going on. There's some people kind of cheering and some lights flickering. Well, what was starting was this salute to the first responders, to the the frontline workers of the whole pandemic and, you know, look online and kind of catch wind of this thing that I think it was like 8 PM, 8 PM every evening, people would go out on their balconies and start cheering and applauding all the people who were, you know, making the sacrifices to, to keep the world going around. And it turned into this, really cool event uh, for a couple weeks where you literally we would set our alarms for a couple minutes before eight and then you know we would start we people had noisemakers and instruments and people put took dj equipment on their balconies and like it literally turned into a citywide party for about you know three to five minutes every evening at 8 p.m uh everybody just you know with lights and lasers and and like all sorts of cool stuff so that Although we were all in our own, you know, environment and everybody was trying to avoid everything, there was still a sense of connection and community. And, um, you know, I love kind of the whole mission here for your podcast, which is establishing that, like, although we are very much different, we come from different walks of life and different experiences, um, that we are still much, very much the same. You know, we have a lot of the same instinctual and, you know, prehistoric programming in our body and our in our lives. And so it was there was a sense of connection that people still wanted to have despite all the restrictions that that we found a way. Right. Yeah. People found a way to create this unofficial, organized uh celebration and connection with each other. And so it became kind of one of our, our favorite parts of the of the day. Really we kind of look forward to it. So I mean those were the those were the early days uh of the pandemic. You know, there was a lot of uh just you know, confusion and people didn't know what was going on. And so it was cool to see people still looking for a way 
to find that connection with each other. And, um, you know, I actually own a, a real estate call center here in Texas and uh, we're in College Station, Texas, which is where Texas A&M University is. And so when the pandemic hit, it was kind of right around spring break. And so we basically had no idea what was going on, but we, we kind of told our the, the lower half, half of our org chart, the people who had didn't have all the training, the experience to be able to work from home. We kind of told them, hey, let's just consider this an extra long spring break. We'll, we'll call you back when we need you. Uh, but we'll definitely, you know, welcome you back with open arms and provide some type of compensation for the time you spent away. And then the top half of our org chart, we took all the computers in our office and we, we sent them home with, the, the, you know, with the, those callers. And so they went home and they were making calls from their house. Uh, and we had just, you know, bare bones, you know, minimal staff in the office just to kind of keep the glue to keep the the shifts running and the, and the calls being made. And uh, it was about, I think eight to 10 weeks that, that we had that, that separation. And, um, you know, by the time we, it was around Memorial day in Texas that everything kind of opened back up again. And so we said, all right, everybody's welcome back into the office. And these students were just dying to get back in the office because yeah. again, that craving that, that sense of connection and community. And that's really one of the things that drives our business. You know, where we, we make phone calls on behalf of real estate professionals all across the country all day, every day. And it, it's, it's, it's a lot of rejection that you face. It's a lot of, um, you know, cold calling and things that, that, ha that, that have a correlation with like not having fun, but that's what makes our company different is we, we make the work fun and meaningful and fruitful and rewarding for everybody. And so it was cool to see that everybody had a huge craving to get back into the office and reconnect with their peers and learn and grow together. And so it was just, it was interesting to see that the challenges that we face, but that uh, inherent need and desire to connect with one another. And uh, last thing I'll say on this topic is, you know, I, when I always talk about our company culture, uh, you know, we're here in an office all day, every day, um, building strengths, you know, building off of each other, supporting each other, lifting each other up. I always point out to people that the worst punishment known to mankind, besides the death penalty, right, despite actually just putting someone to death, is what? It's solitary confinement. Yeah. Right. They take the worst of the worst criminals who are maybe broken in so many different ways and cannot function in the society that we know. And the worst punishment that we give those people is we remove them from all the rest of the people. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy to think that if that's the worst punishment ever provided to the worst criminals, then, then think about how much we, we subconsciously desire and crave that connection with other people. So that, it was, that, it was a very interesting time. That's an interesting point. I haven't heard that since the, in, in any version of that, uh, of asking this question. And that's true. That's what we did. We sequestered everybody. And as connected as we were with technology, we were still craving that other element, that community, that that mm -hmm. communal idea of us getting together. And, you know, kids didn't know any different because that was their reality. But for us that have been around for a while, it's mm -hmm. it, it was heavy, you know. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, so you've touched a little bit on what you do. I want to really get to the essence of what you do on a daily basis. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders. It's career day. One of the kids mm -hmm. says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? Yeah. So typically when people look for answers to the questions that they have, they go where? They go to Google. And they type in some keywords and phrases. So if somebody's thinking about buying a home, typically go to Google and punch in some words or phrases like homes for sale in your local community. And then you'll pull up some 
some websites that'll have some you know search results. And when you click on those sites and you start browsing all the pictures of homes that are for sale in your area, um, the website will say, hey, why don't you create a free profile so you can keep browsing this website and get all the information that you need. Well, on the back end of that, in the whole real estate industry, real estate agents and teams are the ones providing those websites and they're the ones bidding on those AdWords and phrases to get you to land on their website. And now that you've just subscribed to keep looking at these pictures, a lead has been created. And so in the real estate world, I discovered this problem about 10 years ago that all these real estate teams and agents were generating an abundance of leads, but they weren't doing a really good job of following up with them. And so that was essentially the problem that I found. And anytime you, you know, anybody wants to be a business owner, you want to you know, start your own business venture, the best formula is to first find a problem that exists. Number two, figure out how to solve that problem. And then number three, figure out how to scale it and sell that solution to other people. And so that's exactly what I did. I found the problem. Yep. Here's all these leads. The agents aren't following up with, okay, how am I going to solve it? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hire all these sharp and enthusiastic students from Texas A&M to pick up the phones, start calling all the leads and texting all the leads and emailing all the leads and figuring out who's actually hot, motivated, and ready to buy a home. And when they are, we make that connection with the real estate agents that can provide those services in their local area. And so that's what we've done now for over a decade. We've you know, hired and trained over 400 Texas A&M students to do this work. And of course, that's helped advance their career. And uh, we've handled over 3 million internet leads of people all across the country that were, you know, looking online for homes. And, you know, we figured out who was actually hot and motivated and then connected them with hundreds of the top real estate teams and agents across the country. And that's, like I said, what we've done over the last decade. So how did this all happen for you? Tell me where you were born and raised and what were these seeds of being an entrepreneur? You're obviously highly driven. How did all of this grow into you today? Yeah, so I was uh, born not far from you, down I-35 in Emporia, Kansas. Um, and my parents, you know, they got married at a very young age. And uh, so I actually attended my parents' college graduation. Um, wow. And, you know, to them, they, you know, education, and this is the early 90s, a college education was their ticket out of poverty. You know, it was their, it was their ticket to uh, a guaranteed opportunity to, um, you know, they actually became school teachers. And, um, you know, I, so I saw that path that, you know, you, you got to have something, you got to invest in something in order to achieve something greater in your life. And so, you know, but growing up in a household of two, you know, school teachers, you know, there, there wasn't always an abundance of income. There wasn't an abundance of things. But my parents definitely taught me, you know, the value of quality time. You know, we got to spend a lot of time with my parents because they got summers off and Christmases off and spring break off. Um, but, you know, growing up in that environment, you kind of learned some of these, um, you know, fundamental financial mindsets, which is like, hey, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, you know. We, we can't afford that, you know, that's, that's, that's not just not in the cards. And so growing up in an environment that I'm very fortunate that I had loving parents spent a lot of time with us and, and, and taught us the value of hard work. Uh, but I knew that I wanted more in life. And I knew that if I wanted more in life, I was going to have to go out and achieve it. And, and I always say that your income is a, a direct correlation with the amount of value that you, you provide to other people. And so in the 90s, I kind of got my glimpse, my first taste of entrepreneurship uh, because my dad was a computer science teacher, and this is during the dot-com boom. And so he actually ventured out from education and started some dot-com businesses. 
And for those of you who remember, there was the whole dot-com boom and bust because there was this new way of you know facilitating um, interaction and, and, and commerce and uh, all these ideas that just got were an idea one day and they were reality the next. And so I got to you know work alongside my dad on some of his dot-com startups and projects. And initially I thought, hey, I want to do what dad does. I want to be a computer programmer. But, you know, after taking a couple programming classes in, in high school, I realized the, the, the writing the code wasn't for me. Yeah. And uh, so I realized it was the, the idea of creating a vision, creating a dream and putting it into an existence. And that's, that's entrepreneurship. Yeah. And so I changed my major right before I attended uh, school at Texas A&M to entrepreneurial business management. And then along the path, you know, I got the formal education, but I had a lot of really great jobs along the way that taught me you know, what I liked and what I didn't like and kind of uh, built the fundamentals of my young professional career. And so, you know, shortly after college, I was working for a marketing firm in the real estate space. And uh, it was a small startup and I got to work side by side with their founder and CEO. And the most important key to that was I got to travel with him uh, all across the country to all these different real estate seminars and events and masterminds and coaching programs and really got to see, uh, you know, and, and rub elbows with the top producing agents. I got to see what not only made them successful, but really what kept them up at night. Like what were those pain points, those, those gaps, those, those frustrations in your business. And then through that, I discovered that all these agents were generating all these leads and not doing a really good job of following up with it. And that, that was the big, uh, that was a big opportunity for me. So I always like to say I'm, I'm a lucky guy, but the definition of luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. And so, you know, if, if you look back at all the dots, they seem to connect really easily. Yeah. But, you know, looking forward and moving forward, sometimes it's, it's not, not so easy and there's some ups and some downs and you, you learn from your failures and you pick yourself back up again and you celebrate your successes and share that with others. And, um, you know, that's kind of gotten me to uh, where I'm at today. It was, you know, being prepared for that opportunity uh, taking bold action, decisive action, and uh, deciding that this is, you know, I was going to be on a mission to help uh, bring this solution to the real estate space. And it's created a lot of freedom um, in my life, you know, from myself and my wife and our kids. In fact, back to the COVID thing, you know, the whole world was shut down and uh, my wife and I love to travel. So we decided to purchase a motorhome and travel the country for four months. And so nice. we took our one and a half year old daughter at the time and traveled the whole you know, Western side of the, of the country because, you know, I had built a business, uh, you know, not just a, not just a job, not just self-employment, but an actual business where we empower the people and, and um, you know, create systems and processes that people show up and execute on a day in day out basis. And uh, that gave me the freedom as a business owner to, you know, live, live the lifestyle that I wanted. So um, right. that's kind of been the path leading up to today, you know? Cool. So who's been a hero for you? You know, I definitely say uh, my my father was was uh, one of the first heroes in my life. Uh, well, both my parents really, but as far as career wise, I definitely um, looked up to and modeled his entrepreneurial spirit. Um, he did it through computer programming. You know, I wound up doing it through real estate calls. You know, but um, that was definitely something that I always modeled growing up was getting to see uh, the the exciting parts, the exciting element of brainstorming and dreaming up new ideas. And then, you know, an idea is nothing if you don't take action on it. And so my, my father was very much an action taker. And so he's, 
he's had lots of dreams and lots of visions, but he's, he's taken a lot of action on a lot of things. Um, and so, you know, he was, he's definitely one of my heroes. And then my mom, you know, the older I get and the, the more I realize the stories I hear about other people and their moms and their mother-in-laws and, and some of the stress and frustration that comes with that. I'm like, you know, I've really had, my mom was one of the coolest people I've ever known. I never really realized that until I got yeah. older. And so she's just got a huge heart and it's just super uh, caring. And, um, you know, she definitely balances out the, the personalities in our family. And uh, she's always been there to support me and, and love me unconditionally. So I'd say definitely my, my, my parents come to mind first. And then, you know, outside of that, in, in my professional career, I've definitely um, found ways to create uh, reciprocal value with other people. So, you know, they always say you never want to be the smartest person in the room because uh, you're in the wrong room. So I've always done the things that I needed to do to get into rooms where I was not the smartest person. And then, you know, you don't also don't want to just show up in a room where you're not the smartest person and then just, you know, suck from all the, the energy and experience from everybody else, you got to find a way to contribute value to that. So just always being very um, calculated and purposeful about how I can add value to other people, you know, despite what my income level is or my experience level is that is there something that I know that can serve other people and, and provide value to them. And then just always keep putting myself in rooms where people are further along in, in their you know life than I am as far as success and finance and wealth and family and i mean i've got a very young family right now so you know anybody who has kids that are older than four years old has got more experience in that category than me so um so yeah i've, I've created a lot of heroes along the way i've invested in mentorship i've um collaborated with a lot of the top minds in the real estate and entrepreneurial community and um just always found ways to like i said uh, follow that law of reciprocity you know you you, you get what you get back what you put into it so yeah um always looking to create those great relationships What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Oh, that's a really great question. Best advice I've ever gotten. Um, you know, I would say, uh, and, and many different people have said it uh, before, but one of the ways that I've heard it that I repeat quite often, it, I learned from Kevin Harrington, who's, um, I've had the pleasure of working with him. He was one of the original sharks on the show Shark Tank. Yeah. Sure a lot of you love that show. It's always a fun, entertaining uh, show, but he said, uh, fail fast, fail forward, and fail cheap. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, negative feelings about failure that we perceive growing up as a child, coming through academia and coming through, you know, the typical school system that, like, if you don't do well at something, then you're a failure and that's a bad thing. Um, but what I've, you know, kind of come to learn more as an adult and um, in the entrepreneurial world is that, you know, failure is a, is a, a recipe is one of the key ingredients for success. You know, you've, you've got to learn how to fail. You've got to learn how to learn from your mistakes and pick yourself back up again and keep moving forward. You've got to be able to learn from other people's mistakes and accelerate your learning curve. And then as you're climbing on your way to the top, when you take a moment to look down, you know, the mountaintop below you, there's other people that you can help pick up and get up to your level even faster and, and, and sort of serve you know, that pay it forward mentality. And so, um, you know, failure is a, is a very key ingredient to success. And so, like I said, Kevin Harrington said, fail fast, fail forward and fail cheap, right? Because yeah. everything's a learning opportunity. Some yeah. just cost more than others. So you want to try to accumulate as many inexpensive learning opportunities as possible yeah. uh, and quickly. Yeah, so. for sure. So of all the things that you've done professionally so far, what are you the proudest of? 
I would say the uh, my my current business Rockerbox. You know, um, before I started the business, there was not really a turnkey done for you uh, service in the real estate space. Um, it was an idea that I had. You know, I I, I talked to as many uh, influencers and, and people's ideas that I respected and 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 challenge like hey could it be done this way could you have someone sitting in an office in college station texas picking up the phone and help and move people forward through a sales pipeline in tennessee or nebraska or oregon or florida with zero market knowledge without a real estate license like could, could that actually work could that this hallucination of mine become a reality and so you know that was the initial crazy wild idea and then, uh, you know, I, I gained enough confidence and, um, and and had those opportunities where I thought, you know what, I'm going to take massive action and I'm going to I'm going to see, see if this thing works. And um, obviously, it wasn't a, a grand slam home run right out of the gates. We probably spent the first two years, you know, uh, before we became cash flow positive, just investing in those learning opportunities, investing in those mistakes, investing in those failures uh, until we really determined what was the best you know, investment in our human capital and our time to generate the greatest return from these these leads for all these real estate teams across the country. And then it clicked and um, there was already huge pent up demand in the market. And uh, we figured out the solution to it. And then, um, you know, just all the people that were along on the ride with me, you know, our first hires, our first partners, our first clients, um, you know, together, we uh, very quickly accelerated the business um, to become a very big operation. And so it was just very exciting to see within the first couple of years of our exponential growth that, you know, at one point in time, this was my hallucination. But now I can see all of these people's lives that it impacts, you know, the the hundreds of hires that we've made, the hundreds of clients that we've made, the you know millions of leads that we've touched. And to know that an idea of mine you know, now exists as, as a part of reality uh, because it positively impacts all these people. And, uh, and, and then just hearing and seeing and witnessing the organic growth of the business um, that it, it, you know, it, it wasn't something that I felt that was, was mine. It was, it was ours. And so all of the players on the team, you know, everybody on the Rockerbox team here, we're all in the same boat. We're all rowing in the same direction. And, you know, this, business is ours and uh it means so much uh to so many different people in different ways and when i i, I finally got to see that this business was created and it was now this you know or organic you know living breathing changing evolving uh, business that you know not all the ideas come from me you know we have we have masterminds with our team every single month where we come together and people talk about what we're doing well and what we need to improve on and people come up with great ideas and we put them into action and they become reality and so just getting to see that like I, I created something that's much bigger than just myself. That's, that's probably what I'm most proud of. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Um, you know, I, I still just uh, acknowledge the, the, the truth of who I am. You know, I'm, I grew up in a trailer park in middle of nowhere, Kansas, and uh, you know, attended my parents' college graduation and learned the value of hard work and um, got a glimpse of entrepreneurs, onto the entrepreneurial spirit, and became addicted to it at, at a young age. And um, you know, again, it's it's. Uh, I ultimately want to live, you know, the most incredible life. You know, we get we get one one walk on Earth, 
uh, and I want to live and serve others. And uh, I know that I'll do that by continually finding new ways to add value to other people's lives. You know, you can have whatever you want in life as long as you help other people get what they want in life. And so, um, you know, I see myself as a, as a pretty simple-minded guy, you know, it's, um, not really much into the glitz and glam of the modern day social media world, but, uh, you know, again, to each his own, it's just, uh, I kind of understand where I'm at in life and what my lane is and what's most important to me and where I want to spend my time and know that, uh, you know, you've got to continue to increase the amount of value that you add to others. So we, we had touched a little bit on the fact that Johnny Manziel documentary, and I had just seen it. You're in College Station. What, what's your best moment, whether you ran into him or you saw a game? What, what was your best Johnny Manziel moment? Yeah, the best. It was definitely the first season that he was here before, before all the hype exploded. But, um, you know, the uh, seeing him turn the corner, you know, I actually at the time uh, worked in the bar district uh, on campus and would see him come in, you know, on, on an, on an occasional like Sunday night, you know, a Monday evening or whatever. And it was never uncommon for athletes to come into the bars and come hang out and have some drinks. Like it really wasn't much of a, like, it's like, Oh, Hey, yeah, there's some football players over there. Cool. No big deal. But once he started, once the hype started increasing and then eventually got to the point where like Alabama game happened and he beat him his freshman year, it was crazy how much there was like a mob mentality of like you would now see him come out to the bars but there would be like crowds of people around him like paparazzi mode like just following him from bar to bar to bar and people trying to get a picture with him here and there and so just seeing that transformation of him going from just another guy you know just some kid from some small town in texas to like celebrity status in this town i mean this is not la this is not New York. This is not Miami. You know, this is College Station, Texas. It's it's a small, you know, agricultural. It's not a small school, but it's a small town in comparison yeah. to you know some other major universities. And uh, you know, the university is the is the epicenter of of everything that happens here. And we have football players, and we have basketball players, and yeah, we're fans of them. But there's in no way, shape, or form any type of you know crazy, wild paparazzi mobster like he was like a rock star in this town and, and and literally went from being just a simple kid from a small town in texas to an absolute rock star and seeing that all happen in the first year was very exciting i think especially if you watch the documentary the next year he came back was i mean our season wasn't as good we had more losses and i think at that point he was he had already bought into the hype and the fame and there was probably not as much pure yeah. uh, enjoyment coming out of it so yeah it was definitely his first this first season here. Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone wants to reach out, wants to hire you, learn more about you, get involved, how do they do that? Yeah. So um, our, our primary business is Rockerbox. It's spelled a little strange. It's R-O-K-R-B-O-X. And a Rockerbox is an old gold mining tool used to separate sand and gravel from gold. And that's what we do with internet leads. So if you're, if you're in the real estate space, if you're generating an abundance of internet leads, we can help you follow up with them. Um, in addition to that, I've also launched a new brand called Five Star Company Culture. And, you know, I say that's our, our key to success here at Rockerbox, the, the way that we've been able to do the work that other people didn't want to do and hire a generation of talent that doesn't typically have a great reputation for being hard workers. Well, the reason why we've been able to do that is because we have a five-star company culture. We make the work fun and meaningful and fruitful and rewarding for everybody involved. Uh, and so we've now started taking on some consulting clients in, um, you know, small businesses, entrepreneurs, 
C-suite executives, people who are looking to really create more meaning and purpose in the work that they do on a day-in-day-out basis and have your core values come to life and live a more purpose-driven um, life as a, as a business and as an individual and really to create more freedom and profits, uh, that's Five Star Company Cultures. You can go to fivestarcompanyculture.com. Uh, check us out there. And then, like I said, if you're in the real estate space, go to rockerbox.com, R-O-K-R-B-O-X.com and uh, you know, fill out a form. I'd love to chat with you. Or you can just email me directly, josh at rockerbox.com. I'd love to right learn a little bit more about your business and what your goals are. Right on, man. Josh, this has been great. Thank you so much. Have a great 2024, man. Thanks. You too, Joe. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Yeah.